1: It's the SNL Hall of Fame podcast With your host, Jamie Dew Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna And featuring Matt Ardill And now, Curator of the Hall Jamie Dew.
2: All right. How are you doing? Welcome to season three. I am Jamie Dew, and it is my pleasure to welcome you inside the SNL Hall of Fame. But before you do, please wipe your feet. The SNL Hall of Fame podcast is a weekly affair. Each episode, we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest or writer, and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and help determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity inside the hall. We just finished doing that last week for season two. We announced the class of season two, and it's a banger of a class. You should check that out. It's headlined by Will Farrell. Norm McDonald made it in on the second ballot. Plus, many more. You've got to check out episode 20 of season two to find out the whole skinny. But this is season three, and here we are, ready to rock in season three. We've got uh, a, a great lineup of nominees to get to, including this week's nominee, Dana Carvey. What a way to kick off season three, huh? Now, what I'm doing right now is I'm going to walk down the hall and I'm going to go over to Matt's minutia minute corner and talk to Matt over there. Hey, Matt, how are you doing my friend? Hey, Jamie. Uh, today
3: I've got the pistachio disguise of, of, uh, S- SNL, Dana Carvey, uh, <laughs> five foot eight born June 2nd and 1955. Uh, yeah he is an interesting character Co- cross-country champion the degree in broadcast communications over his period at snl he was nominated six times for emmys received one and is number 90 on the comedy central list of 100 greatest stand-ups of all time yeah and he comes from an interesting family as well his brother brad who is the basis for garth Uh, Is actually an inventor who invented the video toaster special effects technology. Oh, Uh, so if you watch Babylon Five, you can thank the real life Garth for the cool special effects. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and his his early roles include bit parts in Halloween Two and as one of the mime waiters in This Is Spinal Tap, yes. uh, reporting to Billy Crystal. He actually was almost the host of Double Dare. He was up for that on Nickelodeon at the same time as he was up for SNL and actually had to refuse the opportunity to host that Nickelodeon classic. Now, after Second City, he, he actually went on to do some pretty incredible career lifting uh, for young comedians on the Dana Carvey show and kind of helped launch the careers of Stephen Colbert, Steve Carell, Louis C.K., as well as Charlie Kaufman and Robert Carlock. So yeah. Charlie Kaufman of Eternal yeah. Sunshine and Robert Carlock of 30 Rock. Um, to
2: be um, a yeah.
3: Partner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah
2: marriage partner but like a writing partner
3: yeah yeah so yeah he's pretty amazing and he's got big time fans i I guess like george hw bush loved his impersonation of him (laughs) to the point he invited dana carvey to the white house and kurt douglas worked with him in the movie tough guys uh and helped him get over his fear of doing a stunt on top of a train and was so adored by kurt he was invited to speak at his 100th birthday party really yeah so he's a he he's a Interesting
2: fella, Dana Kern. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you say we kick it downstairs to our friend Thomas Senna? He's down there with Darren Patterson. Yeah, that's right. We got a downstairs here in the SNL Hall of Fame. You thought that this was all upstairs? No, no, there's a downstairs. Season three, spoiler, there's a downstairs. So let's kick to that right now. This is uh, Thomas Senna having a conversation with Darren Patterson about... Dana Carvey.
4: Darren Patterson from the SNL Nerds Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Uh, thanks for having me, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you.
4: Yeah, sure. Thanks. So I'm super excited about this episode. One of my all-time favorite cast members. Uh, we're going to be talking about Dana Carvey today. Uh, a lot, a lot to get into. So with Dana, I find interesting. He started his tenure at SNL in season 12 when the show was being seriously retooled. So, what were your memories, even after the fact, of where SNL was like in season eleven, heading into when Dana and a bunch of other cast members started into season
0: twelve? I think that was probably the season where I started to get into Mm. SNL, like I first discovered it. Like I first discovered kind of SNL like years ago when I was like a little kid, like like you know back in the seventies. Like I think I remember seeing my dad watch it, and they did the. the land shark sketch, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, the candy gram. And like, when I first saw that, I thought it was like, it was kind of scary, but also kind of weird (laughs) and silly at the same time. So like, I've always been into SNL since then, but once Dana Carvey kind of came on the scene, that's when I really started to watch it more and more just because like he himself is just like so entertaining and there's something about him that I think like younger people just automatically like, like his, you know, Um. All of his impressions, all the characters he brought there—something he brought in like a little bit of. I mean, maybe he, was, maybe also he's like he's maybe more mainstream, palatable or whatever. But he was still had like a kind of a dark, weird sense of humor at times. But I don't know. I, I think once he came in, like I don't know, it really, it really boosted the show up quite a bit. I
4: think. Yeah, yeah, his presence was much needed. I mean, he came in with Phil Hartman. Jan Hooks, Kevin Nealon, kind of that group. Um, John Lovitz and Nora Dunn and Dennis Miller were the holdovers from a pretty, quite frankly, a, a notoriously bad season eleven. Yeah. That's when we had like Anthony Michael Hall, Robert Downey Jr. May no offense to th- those people, but they're quite not quite SNL cast member material, I suppose. Uh, so Dana, you're right. He came in. I think he and Phil and those other cast members. Breathed a lot of new life into the show, um, and especially Dana, for sure. And I wanted to start off, uh, and with, with a lot of these, we don't necessarily have to go chronologically, but I think with Dana, it actually really fits to start right at the beginning, because one of the most popular characters of all time. Debuted in Dana's very first episode, and that was the Church Lady. Uh, So do you have? Yeah, right, exactly. He debuted the Church Lady in the his very first episode. Like, talk about coming out with a bang. So, I mean, what do you remember about uh, the Church Lady in particular, and some of the early Dana stuff?
0: Oh, wow. I mean, well, the earliest Dana thing I remember. I mean, I don't don't know if you want to talk about. Like, uh, I used to really like uh, watching uh, like a stand-up comedy on HBO. And I remember Dana was on the uh, HBO Young Comedians show uh, back in the day, and he had this one bit where he's you know he played piano uh, the chopping broccoli song, yeah. And like I think he brought that over. No, he definitely did. You brought that over to SNL, and he had that chopping broccoli song, which like, and I, I always got a kick out of that. That's like my <laughs> earliest memory of it. The ch- yeah, you know, just and- chopping broccoli. Mm-hmm.
5: Broccoli. Chopping broccoli.
6: Chopping broccoli. Chopping broccoli.
4: That was but, actually yeah. in that first episode too. Really, along with the church lady, uh, he that that Derek Stevens character that sang the Chop and Broccoli song that was in that same episode.
0: Yeah, so just right at the
4: gate, he's just yeah. he's
0: just coming out with heat, and uh, I mean, I mean, we'll get into it uh, later on, but. It's so weird because, like, I, I would think for any SNL cast member, you'd be lucky if you're able to have one reoccurring character that hits with the audience so well, that has a cool catchphrase, that, like, has likability, and is just able to sort of, like, people see you and they automatically have, can say your catchphrase and everything. Like, Dana Carvey, when you really think about it, he had, like, three or four of those characters where they all had catchphrases and people, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll get into it a little bit later. Like I, I kind of wrote them down, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, but with the church lady up top, I mean, well, th- this was also, I guess, around the time where like televangelists were really becoming prominent in culture, you know, Jimmy, Timmy, Faye Bakers and mm-hmm. whatnot. So to have, uh, you know, this guy kind of come out of nowhere during this, doing this character, just called himself the church later. I don't think she ever had a name. I don't think they ever said think it
4: was Enid.
0: Enid? No, it wasn't Enid. Um, because like there was that episode where Fred Savage hosted, <laughs> mm-hmm. and like Fred Savage came on as the church lady's niece, Enid. I think mm-hmm. that was Enid, but like I, I'm not sure if the church lady ever had a name. But anyway, like he he would just this unknown guy just come out and do this, you know, this church lady impression. You know, isn't that have already have a catchphrase ready? Isn't that special? Have a little smirk on her face, and it's. Just like right off the rip, it's just like it's very memorable and likable, and just get a kick out of it.
6: All righty now, now Joey, you are what is called, I believe, a quarterback. Now, what do you do?
3: Well, I run the offense.
6: Now, how does that work?
3: Well, the center snaps the ball. Oh,
6: oh, is, is that when a heavy set gentleman squats down and passes the pigskin between his thighs, where your hands are nestled near his bulbous, naughty place? <laughs>
2: Well, that's, that's one way of
5: putting it. Uh, then I try to complete a pass to a tight end who usually goes deep and long, and
3: hopefully we score.
6: Now, do I hear you correctly, Joey? You make a pass at a tight end who likes to go deep and long, and this is how you score. <laughs>
5: that's correct.
6: Well, isn't that special?
4: And one of the things that I really loved about the church lady that I started picking up more uh, on more so as I got older was just the subtle things about how maybe repressed the church lady actually was, this pent up sort of uh, lust, I guess, that was behind (laughs) it all. Because church lady, the kind of a lot lot of the thing was like shaming whoever was in big and pop culture at the time. So, like you said, mentioned like Madonna you mentioned uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker they had come uh, as uh, Phil Hartman and uh, Jan Hooks Sean Penn Rob Lowe so that was kind of the church lady's thing was to shame people in pop culture but what I started picking up on as I was watching it as I got older was the pent up the repressed nature of the church lady and like you know Dana did a lot of a lot of subtle things like that
0: Right. Yeah. Like th- th- that is true. I didn't even think about that. Like how she did have the church lady had a sort of holier than thou, you know, no pun intended, uh, like a view <laughs> of the world and how she would just, she would have guests on just to publicly shame them and just, you just call them sinners to their face. That's it. A, that's a, like just that concept of a talk show is, is funny enough. And yeah, it's, it's all, and she always kind of went into this talk about like, Oh, aren't you, you know, your your hot male buttocks thrusting, and like she would, he would get into yeah. all these odd wordplay about you know just you know sex and fornication, and it was just like, oh my god, what's going? On? Yeah, and it was just, it was just hilarious to see this this happen. It was just yeah. And she disgusting. she she
4: ended up in one of the in one of the installments later on. She ended up spanking Rob Lowe for being a sinner or something, and right, I think. Like-
0: that was like during the uh, his scandal with the sex tape.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So she was kind of punishing him for that, but you get the sense that the church lady was was getting her thrills <laughs> by uh, by doing that to Rob as well. So where do you want to go from here? What are you, just some of the things that popped out to you about about Dana?
0: Well, I I mean, like I said earlier, like he was a guy who came out. Like I said, like it's hard enough for a cast member to come out with. One reoccurring character that has a catchphrase that everybody loves and just connects with everybody. And Dana Carvey had three, maybe four, I guess if you mm-hmm. want to count this fourth one. He had Hans and Franz. We will Hans pump you up. He had Wayne, Wayne and Garth, Wayne's World. He Garth Algar, Party Time, excellent. Uh the fourth one, if you want to count it, his impression of George H.W. Bush.
6: Good evening, my fellow Americans. You know, in the past, when I've spoken to you from this office here, the news has always been good, not bad, good. (laughs) Berlin Wall, collapse of communism, that Noriega thing over there, good, good, good. (laughs) It's no wonder I'm up up around that 80% approval area. (laughs) But now tonight, the news I have to bring to you, it's not good. In fact, it's kind of (laughs) bad. Maybe after you hear it, my... (laughs) my approval rating will slip down to 75%.
0: (laughs) little joke there for you. You know, he, he, I mean, you could say he he did. You can't just say he did. He had like the, the ultimate impression of George W. Bush. Like all the other Bush's impressions were sort of based off his impression, Mm -hmm. you know, not going to do it and wouldn't be prudent and all that stuff. Like, That's all stuff Bush didn't say, but it feels like (laughs) stuff he would have said, and like, uh, yeah, and like, I mean, he did the impression in front of the actual president, George, you know, George Bush Senior, and George Bush Senior loved it. I mean, I mean, and also, if you want to really get into impressions, I mean, he had a a laundry list of them. Like, uh, let me see what I wrote here. Oh, um, his uh, Jimmy Stewart impression, his Paul McCartney, Tom Brokaw, Mm -hmm. Mickey Rooney, uh, Johnny Carson. His Ross Perot impression, where you know, no, can I finish? Can kind I of finish? Uh, Casey Kasem, the McLaughlin Group, which was always, I always loved the McLaughlin Group. It was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to count impressions, I mean, he did an impression of a fellow SNL cast member right next to the SNL, like his Dennis Miller impression. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that had ever been done before, and to
4: this day, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. And he still does it. I mean, to this day you listen to this podcast yeah. and he breaks into the Dennis Miller impression yeah. and I, I always get a kick out of that. And and you know, the, the voice, I mean it's a it's a cartoonish version of Dennis, but but it it, it sounds a lot like him too. And and, and he yeah. has the whole head wag he he wags his yeah. head <laughs> and has the little smirk on his face and <laughs> yeah. that yeah, that's the one one of the ones that I noted too, uh for sure. Um he, he oh, another one where you know, was Casey Kasem early on. He did a Casey Kasem impression. And that one actually stuck out to me. And I like to think about just impressions in general on the show. And I don't know how you feel about this, but I look at impressions as, as it's not enough to, to just sound like the person to just mimic the person. There has to be a comedic angle about the person or something silly. You know, there has to be a comedic hook there that isn't just, oh my gosh, they sound like that person. And Mm. the Casey Kasem early on, he debuted this in his second episode. Uh, It was a, it was a weekend update piece that, that he came on and did. And I highlight Casey Kasem as an example of why Dana was so good at impressions is because if you remember the casey Kasem one it was really dark he would use the hammy hammy casey casem dj voice but talk about really dark material that was the hook
6: this week a viewer writes casey whatever happened to eddie fontaine i loved his hit song spank me to heaven and was wondering if he still records bill naper billings montana well, Bill Eddie was accused of assaulting his manager with a deadly weapon, with intent to kill.
4: I don't know. Is that something you see in in uh, his other impressions, like that comedic hook that he always would find?
0: Yeah, I do that. You mentioned it. Yeah. Well, that also what you meant what I what you just said is yeah. Like that's that's again a, a little bit of his dark humor seeping through. Because like yeah, while he does sort of seem like. He does kind of present as like, you know, all American boy next door, I guess, with his looks and his, you know, likability with uh, the like he seems like kind of very middle America, like like everybody likes him. He's very mainstream, but he does have like that dark sense of humor through his some of his stuff. You know, of course, you later on, we'd see that in uh, the Dana Carvey show. You know the ill-fated <laughs> data car channel. shown oh my gosh yes. yeah that's that's a whole other thing but um, and like and you also see his dark humor and things like um, you know massive head wound Harry and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. yeah like I did notice that like it is a, a few I do notice a few impression oppressionists do that where they expect the impression to do a lot of the heavy lifting and mm-hmm. within a sketch where they're like, oh I' I'm, I'm doing this spot on impression. And that should be enough to carry the sketch. And a lot of times it's not. A lot of times it's like, oh, that's a great impression. Now what? <laughs> and exactly. like, they, they kind of have nowhere else to go. Whereas I think with Dana, he always had somewhere to go with his impressions. Like, um, you know, the Jimmy Stewart impression when they did that. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life of, you know, Lost Ending. That was, classic. Uh, that was pretty fantastic. Yeah, but it had, it was, they were going somewhere with it. And they were saying something as they were, you know. Beating an old man.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It was like a darker version of the beloved Jimmy Stewart from It's a Wonderful Life.
0: (laughs) Again, his dark humor is is shining through right there. That's interesting.
4: Uh, That's something that that, that a lot of people never really talked about with Dana. And you're right. He was this clean cut guy who, who could. He I mean he was from the Bay Area, but he could have been from Iowa or anywhere in middle America right. uh for all we could guess, so you're absolutely right, like that was part of his charm, I think was that darkness that kind of yeah. seeped through
0: yeah, yeah he he had that he had like a few things like he- knew, i think maybe he also knew that he could maybe get away with a little bit more because like America just liked him so much, that's why he was so like he was like I think I can get away with something that maybe something else." Maybe somebody else couldn't get away with like you know, Lyle the effeminate heterosexual or something like mm-hmm. that. So yeah, like definitely. I think he he sort of played up to that.
4: Yeah. So um so you had mentioned uh you had brought up one of his, his other famous characters, uh, Garth Algar from uh from Wayne's World, which when Mike Myers came on the show um a few episodes after Mike debuted, he and Dana uh, started doing the Wayne's World sketches. Uh, do you have any? I mean, what was your impressions of?
0: Wayne's world um uh when when they started doing those sketches uh I mean when I first saw it I think because you know I was around at like teenage age when I first saw it like I, I immediately liked it because it was just it was just like this kind of very loose very you know this very kind of loose free flowing sketch they could just tell like oh it's like two teenagers quote unquote <laughs> in uh in a basement just talking about girls and you know, guitars and just making silly goofy jokes that like me and my me and my buddies would do. I I related to it quite quite a bit. So like and they just had like a really cool like ability to them and just like a uh, I don't know, just like a uh, laid back kind of silly vibe to those whole sketches. Like immediately I I was like I think like from what I remember though, the first times it aired I don't think it clicked very well with the audiences, so it took a while for the audience to find its rhythm. But, like, I remember watching it and, like, sort of almost immediately kind of digging it.
5: It's Friday, it's 10.30, it's time to party. I'm your excellent host, Wayne Campbell. With me, as always, is Garth. Party on, Wayne. Party on, Garth. Okay, before we bring out our first guest, uh, Garth, what'd you get for Christmas? I got
6: a Game Boy. Excellent. What else? A Batman poster of Kim Basinger. What a big... <laughs> no guff. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, you bought me the Nintendo Power Glove. Thanks, Wayne. Hey,
5: hey it's my pleasure. You're a bud.
6: Swing! Swing! <laughs>
4: Yeah, yeah. I remember when, you know, some of my favorites were when they would do um, their like movie reviews and they would just say, like, oh, this sucked or uh, it sucked, Donkey Balls or, yeah. and then, or, or Wayne would give like this eloquent review of one movie or something. I just like, I like when they, when Wayne and Garth were kind of, like they did lists or like their top 10 lists or they had right, like right. a sort of structure or, or uh, something to that uh when Aerosmith appeared yeah uh, on the show with them that was <laughs> that was pretty fun
0: yeah with Tom Hanks in that sketch
4: it was Tom Hanks exactly so you know I I actually uh I actually know Garth oh really that, that's something that I'm not yeah I know Garth because uh, Garth was based off of uh, Dana's brother, Brad. Yes, right, right. Yeah, because his brother, Brad, was kind of like a tech geek, kind of like soft-spoken kind of talk like that. And Brad created some software that one a company that I used to work for used. And sometimes Brad would come into the office to do training and to talk to management about the software. And he would just loiter and hang out <laughs> like oh, a few wow. feet from my desk. Oh, and wow it was the most wild thing and I would talk to, I would talk to him and he did talk like Garth a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what he sounded like. And, and me, me and a coworker tried our best not to like freak out every time he came into the office because, because Garth was like right in front of us. So
0: yeah. no, I, I would freak out. Yeah. Like I freak, out. I mean, I'm sure for people who know, it, I'm sure he gets inundated with questions about his brother all the time. So it's hard not to be, not, not to nerd out and be like, so what, what's your brother like and like quite, yeah you know like a Chris Farley asked talking to Paul McCartney or
4: something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly I think he brought up Dana maybe a couple of times just in conversation or he would say like oh yeah my brother did this or was in that movie so we tweaked we did play it cool but you know I, I think Garth means a lot to me uh in that sense because I kind of interacted with the person who he's based off of but I mean gosh Made two movies out of that too. I mean, yeah, we should talk about the uh, Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. Like, do you remember seeing those when they came out?
0: Yeah, uh, Wayne's Wayne's World 2. I don't know if I saw it in the theaters, I might have. I might, I definitely think I I remember seeing Wayne's World the first one in the theater, and I really, I really liked it. Again, it's like a lot of a lot of silly humor. You know, I I mean, teenage me, look, if you just say the word swing, you already make me laugh. But that's, it, it didn't take much to, to get me giggling. Yeah, uh, I mean Tia Carrera, I mean, I I will say this. I will say that I really thought um, Ed O'Neill's character was like the unsung hero of that film. Like just, to, just like to this day, like me me and my friends say things like you know, oh, what is it? Like I never did a crazy thing before in my life before that night. Like, like go back and <laughs> yeah. go, go back and watch Ways because like he was doing some like low key like. Really hilarious stuff in there. That was just, just all these weird non sequiturs he was like just
4: demented, yeah, monologues and stuff. I think um going kind of going back and watching some of the Wayne's World sketches, I think that Ed O'Neill character from the movie kind of originated in a in a sketch on SNL. Oh. when Ed O'Neill hosted, he he appeared on Wayne's World, and I don't know if it was supposed to be that exact guy from the sketch into the movie, but it was a similar kind of guy just kind of like a weird kind of yeah. spoke in a in a straight sort of speech pattern but he, but but there was like a lot of demented
0: kind of right. things and behind I, I, that yeah i think at one point in the movie he says like you know a native Americans believe if you stab a man in the winter the, the, the spirit will seep out of the wounds <laughs> <laughs> like oh my god
4: yeah. or why did he have to come to me to die why did he have to, <laughs> to die? <laughs> yeah, And then Wayne and Garth are just like, okay. So yeah. So that's some stuff that, that you know, I, I think that was an example of like a sketch that was beloved that turned into like a beloved movies. Yeah. And that speaks a lot to, to I think how people just love Dana and love mm-hmm. the characters that, that he played. You had mentioned the McLaughlin group uh, mm-hmm. earlier, and I actually want to segue into a little game that i want to play with you and then we'll talk about that so have you you played tooth Truth, and a lie are you familiar with that game uh yes i am all righty so so the topic now is the mclaughlin group and this is going to be the first mclaughlin group sketch i think the one that maybe a lot of people are familiar with um so in these sketches John McLaughlin would, would start, would bring up issues like right away when the sketch started. Issue number one, issue number two. So, right. so issues that John McLaughlin brought up to the panelists in the first McLaughlin group sketch, I'll name three of the issues, and one of the statements is false, and you have to spot the false one. Hit me. All right. So an issue that John McLaughlin brought up to the panelists, is there an afterlife? An issue that John McLaughlin brought up to the panelists, what is the best way to make an egg? And an issue that John McLaughlin brought up to the panelists, what motivates me? Why do I conduct my show in this manner? (laughs) So which one is false?
0: I'm gonna go with uh, the second one, which was the best way to make an egg?
4: uh you're correct that, that was not yes that was not an issue that John McLaughlin uh brought up to the panelists, but I can totally see him the way the way that that sketch sort of um escalated to just ridiculousness that's something that i that came into my mind like i I can see John McLaughlin yeah, asking him that um so that's something that you had brought up earlier in the show so so tell me about what your memories are of the McLaughlin group
0: uh the McLaughlin group i mean well the most memorable one is the one uh you probably remember it too where there was that that music cue that came in accidentally too soon like um i for yeah for i forget which episode it was but it was one where the McLaughlin group was the uh the cold open and then i think uh so at the end of the uh, the sketch Dana as McLaughlin says all right uh, ish, you know final question how do how does snl start usually start their show. And then somebody answered, they stayed live from New York a Saturday mm-hmm. night. And then when he said that, the the drummer of the live, of the band, like started drumming, but he wasn't supposed to. He was, uh, the, the sketch was still going. Mm-hmm. So he came in too soon. Dana heard that and he said, wrong to the drummer.
4: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes.
0: thunderous applause from, from everybody. Cause like, so that's a great, I mean, that was a great moment of like, um, a performer like hearing somebody make a mistake and getting a laugh out of that mistake.
4: That, I that, mean, that doesn't surprise me. Dana Dana's a like a comedic genius. The fact that he's that quick on his feet in that pressure cooker that uh, that that's that can be SNL in a live setting. Uh, yeah. That that's hilarious. Uh, I remember another one that was a cold open. It was uh, Halloween episode of the McLaughlin group when uh, John McLaughlin actually yes, um, yeah. came on the show and he had a good sense of humor about it because when Dana does impressions, um, I think it's mostly out of it's mostly out of love, and I think this one was out of love too. Because if you've, if anybody's out there has ever has not seen the McLaughlin Group, the real show, go on YouTube and watch a few, like watch and even skim through an episode, and you'll see that that Dana's impersonation and the show itself isn't too far off uh, of what the actual McLaughlin Group <laughs> was. But I mean, you want to talk about chaotic sketches in a good way? I mean, that one was rapid fire, just nonstop funny.
0: No, it was fantastic. I also liked the, I guess, the spin-off spinoff uh, with the Sinatra group where it had mm-hmm. uh, Phil Hartman as Frank Sinatra. Yes. Uh, there was a sketch where it was like, it was Frank Sinatra. I think Chris Rock was uh, Luther Campbell from Two Life Crew. Uh, Jan Hooks was Sinead O'Connor. And then it had like, uh, oh, Sting was Billy Idol. And then it have uh mm-hmm. Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet. Like that's... I mean, well, that I means that's Phil Hartman. That's a whole other topic, but like that's. But I mean,
4: inspired. You know, the the, yeah. the McLaughlin Group sketch became so popular that it inspired spinoffs amongst the cast and and amongst uh, other recurring characters. You don't often see that, like somebody's recurring sketch or character inspiring somebody else in the show or other writers in the show to do a spinoff of that. Like yeah. that's, you know, that I think that says something. Quite a bit, so yes. If you, if 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 anybody listening out there hasn't checked out the McLaughlin Group sketches, please do. Uh, please do yourself a favor and go check those out. Something else that that popped out to me was his Johnny Carson, mm. and I don't know if you have have any memories of him doing Johnny Carson on SNL, but to me that like that was close to peak Carvey, uh, right there in those Carson impressions.
0: Yeah, no, it was pretty. It was pretty spot on. It was pretty perfect. It was, I mean, him and of course Phil Hartman as a, his Ed McMahon were fantastic. <laughs> and again, you are it. correct, sir. See exactly, exactly. Like those two impressions are like the the impressions that other people base their Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon impressions off of. Like they put down the blueprint. I don't I mean I don't know how long he had that impression just like locked up in the chamber. How long he had been working on? It. But like when he came. You know, when he it was like fully formed when he debuted it on the SNL. Like, uh, it was always pretty fantastic. I mean, one of my favorite memories of it was, um, I guess it was like a, it was like in the early '90s or so, maybe late '80s, but uh, Carsonio Hall, yeah, Carsonio Show, because basically it was like um, it was around the time where Arsenio Hall his show was like the hot new late night talk show in, in late night, and like uh, Johnny Carson was kind of a old, you know, bit of a dinosaur. At the mm-hmm. time, so they did a sketch called Carsinio where Ars- where Johnny Carson sort of mimicked Arsenio Hall in order to like sort of get some uh, relevance again. So it's Johnny Carson with a high top fade <laughs> <laughs> and just just acting like uh, Arsenio Hall in like a you know bright red suit <laughs> and you know talking about doing the wild thing and, and yeah, my God, it was yeah. it was fantastic. Alright. That is nice. We
6: are back. Boy, do they sound fine. That is my posse, Ed. Yes, sir. Did, did you know that? It's not called a band anymore. It's called a posse. Weird, wild stuff.
1: That it is, sir. Yes. <laughs>
6: a posse. A posse. I did not know that. I did not know that. <laughs> now, some of you at home might not understand some of this some of this lingo, which earlier in the day our staff compiled from the streets. Now, when I said... My guests were in my house. What I meant
4: was in the studio. Yes. That is some weird, (laughs) weird, wild stuff. Yeah, Arsenio on his show would shout out like if somebody happened to be hanging out in the audience or in the dog pound or whatever they would call it. With Arsenio, it was usually somebody cool. Um, But on the Carcinio show that you had just mentioned... He shouted out professional golfer Tom Kite. <laughs> that was that was hanging out uh, uh, back there, and then George Went came on and and was like, "Hey man, like why are, you don't have to be doing this? Like why are, <laughs> why are you doing this, Johnny? This is you know." Yeah. So yeah, that was definitely uh, as a child. That Carsinio sketch is one that really uh, stayed yeah. with me. Uh, yeah,
0: I, I do remember that like, George Went was there, and he was he was like trying to talk him down out of it. And Carson's like, no, these, these people in the audience, they love it. They, I go whoop, 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 and they go whoop, whoop, whoop. And I think George Wendt says, yeah, those people are idiots. They, they <laughs> yeah. don't know what they're doing.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Hilarious. And with his Johnny Carson impression, uh, I'm not sure that Carson, did he say weird, wild stuff on his show?
0: I don't think so. See, that's the thing with, yeah. with Dana's impressions. He would like say something and repeat it, and that would be kind of like the catchphrase. And then that thing would be attached to the person he's impersonating, whether that person ever said it or not. It's, a, it's kind of like how when people do that Seinfeld impression and it's like, oh, I got to tell you. Oh, I want to know. I don't right. think Seinfeld ever said that or he doesn't really talk like that. But it, it sounds like he would. It, it sort of captures his essence. So exactly. it's weird how like something like that sort of gets attached to the original person.
4: Like he captured George Bush's essence with saying not going to do it. And I don't think Bush ever said not going to do it. And, and then Dana will say himself that sometimes he'll just, he's instead of saying not going to do it, he just goes, nah, 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 Like he did, it's just like the, the rhythm right. of, of it to him, like the, you know, same with Ross Perot, uh, like you brought up, like, can I finish, can I finish, can I finish one time? Like, like, it's almost like a song. It's almost like a rhythm and a song, uh, yeah. to Dana's impressions that, you know, that it transcends more than just mimicking the person. And you, you brought up the perfect word. Like it, it was the essence mm-hmm. of, of the person. That's what Dana was just so good at capturing.
0: Yeah. And absolutely. He was able to capture like, uh, yeah. Like he was able to capture, like just something about a certain person, just maybe something like a small tick or just some some type of body language or the way he spoke or speech pattern. And he was able to like sort of fixate, fixate on it and uh, focus on it and just sort of he's able to make an entire pres- impression around that one little thing. I mean, it's pretty fantastic when you think about yeah. it.
4: Yeah, it's great stuff. Uh, is there anything else um, from Dana's time at SNL that listeners um, should know know about when thinking about his Hall of Fame candidacy?
0: Well, again, if you want to talk about his dark uh, his dark sense of humor, I mean, we could, you know, grumpy old man. We, we have yes. to mention that that which again, it's, it's based, it, again another character, no name. He'd only come out during a weekend uh, update segment, and he would just talk about how how things. Are, are were better back then, better than they are now. But as he would talk, you would, would he would he would kind of say things like, oh wait, like as he was talking, you realize that stuff wasn't better back then. Mm-hmm. But you liked it because it happened back then, back when you grew up.
6: Today everybody's spoiled run. When I was a boy we didn't have these video games. <laughs> we made up our own games like chew the bark off the tree. <laughs> You and your friends would fight a nice oak tree and you start chewing their skin off of it. And there were no winners. Everybody was a loser. It rotted your teeth and left your intestines scarred and knotted. And that's the way it was. And we liked it. We loved it.
4: And we like liked it. it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we liked Again, another cat. And we liked it.
4: Yep. That's something that my friends and I, because um, we were big comedy nerds growing up, that, that's, uh, I, that's stuff that we would repeat. And and we liked it, (laughs) and that's because of Dana, man. That's yeah, that's so awesome. That's a perfect perfect example to bring up something that I highlighted uh, definitely too. (laughs) You mentioned too the Dana Carvey show, so that was his sketch show on ABC, I believe. They ran it in '96. Did you watch that when it aired? That piece of insanity.
0: I actually did, like, um, because like I watched it back then. But then I also like kind of rewatch some of the episodes because um, we talked about that on SNL because like there was a documentary about it recently. It was called Too Funny to Fail. It was on Hulu, I believe it's still there. But uh, yeah, I mean, on paper the show should have worked because again, it's a it's Dana Carvey, it's his type of humor. But like he was, he wanted to go more darker with it, like a lot very uh, Money Python you could say. Mm. I mean, Louis C.K. wrote on it. Charlie Kaufman the director worked on that show wow. um, robert Smigel, i believe worked on it uh, steve colbert and steve carell yeah. act- acted on the show like on paper it had everything going for it and like uh, they also interviewed uh, like bill hader he was also in the documentary too cuz like back when he was a kid he loved the show too and like they t- they talk about the like the issues with the show because it was a- one thing was on abc like in their time hours, second law, they put it on right after, uh, home improvement, which <laughs> they, they, right. they, they count that for their down Cause like they weren't, people weren't ready for this, uh, you know, home improvement and then going right into a, an opening sketch of Dana Carvey dresses, Bill Clinton with uh, multiple nipples. Yeah. yeah that was <laughs> the
4: very first sketch of in the very first episode wasn't it like that's how yeah like it was just dana and them saying this is what the show is like right up top
0: yeah they, they came in hot <laughs> And i, I, yes. I think them, i think they said they like really fought for that too because like the mm-hmm. network was like oh, i don't know about this man <laughs> and like i think uh uh what's it dino Stamatopoulos. I think who also worked on Community wrote on that show too, and like they, mm-hmm. a lot of Conan people worked on that show. But like, they were like sticking to their guns. Like, no, we have to take a stand. We have to set the tone right off the bat about what this show is going to be. And uh, from what I understand, like the moment people saw that, like the ratings took a like a nosedive. Like people turned it off immediately after <laughs> after like the first yeah. five minutes. Oh, but yeah, I, I, I I stuck with it. I really liked the show. It was hilarious it
4: was really good and I have a vague memory because I think I was 14 or 15 actually when it aired and I have a vague memory of watching it with my parents or at least my mom in the same room and she's she's a big SNL fan so like when it came on and we were excited like oh dana carvey has a new show or whatever and then that first sketch uh, I, you mentioned bill clinton with all the nipples and he, he the whole concept was he's a nurturer or something and he's gonna nurture yeah. the entire country yeah he wasn't gonna uh, feed the
0: earth or something. he's yeah. gonna
4: feed the earth or something and so yeah so i have a memory of being really embarrassed <laughs> turning red uh, as, when that
0: as you should because I, <laughs> I think it's one of those things where it's like we said like Dana Carvey kind of has this wholesome image that people kind of see him as like, you know, middle America, you know, lovable mainstream guy. But like, he also has that darkness in him. And on the show, we got more of that darkness than I think people were expecting and were not ready for it. Like, I think like, if you're a fan of shows like Money Python or Mr. Show, you'd like the Dana Carvey show. If you're, if not, then it, it might not be for you.
4: Yeah. So yeah, his, his, his work after SNL, I mean, he appeared in stuff here and there, but you know, he, it was kind of sparse. I think he did some stand up here and there too. Uh, Currently he has uh, his podcast with David Spade, the fly on the wall podcast, which is really, it can sometimes be a good look at, at the show in particular. I know he and David kind of, they talk about the show, but a lot things outside of the show too. So, so um, I think that got renewed uh, for season two as well. But yes, I mean, Dana thrived and I, you know, he, his time at SNL was just so memorable and legendary. I don't think he could come close to matching or topping it um, after his SNL career. Yeah. So before we head out, just, you know, if you want to give the listeners a quick summary of why you think Dana Carvey should be in the SNL Hall of Fame.
0: Like I said before, I'll reiterate it. So many cast members are lucky lucky if they get one reoccurring character with a catchphrase that like sort of permeates SNL history. And my man, Dana Carvey, has four. Garth Algar, Hans and Franz, the church lady, George H.W. Bush, the, the, you know, the ultimate George W. Bush imp- H.W. Bush impression, the one that mm-hmm. everybody bases their impression off of. Like you can say a church lady line, you know, well, isn't that special today? And people would get it. You know, we will pump you up. You, mm-hmm. No way, way, Garth Algar. And again, like his laundry list of impressions, Ross Perot, Casey Kasem, McLaughlin Group, Johnny Carson. Like he's, I, again, like so many impressionists that I can think of. Maybe we have like three or four good impressions in their arsenal. And he, this dude had like so many uh, I mean again doing an impression of Dennis Miller right next to Dennis Miller. <laughs> I mean the dude's undeniable. So mm-hmm. that's that's my pitch. I mean Dana Carvey, undeniable. <laughs>
2: undeniable, Darren Patterson says. Dana Carvey, undeniable. I tend to agree with him. I think uh, this is a lock. I've got to say, I I don't usually go out on a limb like this and uh, put my, you know, put my behind in the air, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to say, yeah, Dana Carvey is a lock as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, Will he come close to Will Ferrell's mark? I don't know. I don't know if he'll get up into the high 90s like Ferrell did. Well, Ferrell was a low 90, but I don't know if he'll get uh, above 92%. Um, But it'll be interesting to find out, won't it? Darren, we really want to thank you. Uh, If you're out there and you don't listen to SNL nerds, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life, frankly? You need to start listening to this podcast. Darren is uh, the co-host over there, and it's a great podcast. Now, what we're going to do is what we always do is we are going to cement the deal here for Dana Carvey and play a sketch that was handpicked by our co-host, Thomas Senna, this is the McLaughlin group, and this is a really terrific, terrific sketch. Uh, It's got the rat-a-tat-tat delivery that uh, Dan Aykroyd made famous, but this is Carvey doing it. It's uh, political, but very funny. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. It's really good. You've got to give it a listen. So why don't we do that right now? This is Dana Carvey and the McLaughlin Group on the SNL Hall of Fame podcast.
1: From the nation's capital, the McLaughlin Group, an unrehearsed, hastily assembled program presenting inside opinions and forecasts on major issues of the day with Jack Germond of the Baltimore Sun, Syndicated columnists Pat Buchanan and Eleanor Cliff, and Morton Kondracki of The New Republic. Now, here's the moderator, John McLaughlin.
5: Issue number one the Commander in Chief in Mexico. Bush wants a free trade agreement. What does President Salinas want, Pat Buchanan? John
1: Salinas is playing up his recent economic success and steering his jump, country jump on. Toward...
5: I don't think it's so much what
1: Salinas wants. It's Eleanor the Cliff!
2: John, this is just another case of President Bush trying to
5: push a policy I'm on not sure Bush has
1: that... a policy, which Excuse is part me, of the Pat, problem.
5: Excuse me, I believe Eleanor has the floor.
2: Thanks, John. The hard truth is that Bush needs Salinas more than Morten Salinas. More
3: needs- I think this agreement talk is basically a Wrong! pipe dream.
5: Because- there will be a free trade agreement. It will take place within one year. Issue number two, Maggie out, Major in. The new British Prime Minister. Some believe he's a Thatcher clone. Will he carry out her policies? Just ja, come on. Well,
0: Thatcherites are privately rejoicing.
5: Wrong, don't? Morton. See, Thatcher
2: endorsed... Wrong!
5: Top- on a scale of 1 to 14, 1 being lowest degree of likelihood, 14 being absolute metaphysical certitude, what are the chances of major continuing Thatcher's alliance with Bush vis-a-vis the Iraqis? Eleanor Clift.
6: I'd say about a 12.
5: Pat Buchanan. Well,
1: Hold it. 14
2: is most night. Yes. I'd have to say about a 9.
5: Junker on. Lower, like 5. Morton. Eight. Wrong! The actual degree of likelihood is 6.5 <laughs> Issue number three Life after death Some pundits say it doesn't exist Theologians disagree Is there an afterlife? Jack, come on I, uh, really don't More know about...
1: Well, it's not my field Pat Buchanan I'd like to believe, but it's Wrong! hard
5: Wrong! To... There is life after death The soul does not ascend to heaven But rather rests in a limbo state That varies depending on the karma of the spirit Issue number four Intelligent beings on other planets Yes or no? Pat Buchanan I would think so, but... Eleanor Cliff! Don't know. Jack on Me either. Morton Town! Well, no one really knows... Wrong! <laughs> there is intelligent life in the 11th galaxy on the planet Neptune, which will conquer Earth in the year 5482, utilizing us for slave labor and the Shalonian salt mines. Issue number five, what number am I thinking of? Papu-Cannon! <laughs>
3: Geez, uh, 82. Wrong, uh,
5: Eleanor Clift. Uh, is it between one don't and a hundred? Don't the issue. Uh, 40. Wrong, time!
3: 212.
5: Wrong, Jacarino. True. Wrong. The correct answer is 134, 134. Issue number six, what did you have for breakfast today? Eleanor. Some cantaloupe. Like. Town, USA.
2: I had poached eggs and toast.
5: Jamondo. Bacon and eggs. Paddy, paddy, Buke Buke! I'm thinking waffles, maybe Wrong! a little. You all had special K with banana. <laughs> issue number seven. What is issue 14 going to be? Some say it will deal with an economic matter, others believe it will involve Germany. More teeny tiny tabletop. <laughs>
2: Oh, acid rain?
3: Wrong!
5: Eleanor, gee, I think you're swollen all. I have. <laughs> I have Wrong! no idea. Wrong, you know quite well. You're just shy. Mondo, Jackalope, G Man, Mania, well, John. it might be. I'm not finished with your name, Jumonicle. <laughs> Jacko Lantern, JG, Jummy, Jummy, Jemmy, Mayhem. You're insane, John. Wrong! <laughs> I'm perfectly sane. Everyone else, however, is insane and trying to steal my magic bag. St. Patrick of Buchanonomics
1: I think I'm gonna leave, John
5: Wrong! You can't leave, all the doors are locked from the outside Next issue What motivates me? Why do I conduct my show in this manner, Mondo! You're a jerk? Eleanor! Really large ego? Wrong! I was neglected by my parents And I overcompensate to shadow my feeling That I have an inadequate intellect Next issue
3: So, you didn't know your parents very well? Wrong! Wrong? Wrong! Right?
5: Wrong! Next week, the SNL Pro continues. Is my money in a savings and loan? If so, what's my account number? Bye-bye.
2: That is textbook. The heightening and um, expansion of the premise, you know, you, it starts out relatively sane, and uh, it just picks up and goes from there. And the audience is loving it. They buy into every second of it, and... It's really quite great. And Carvey's rat-a-tat-tat, you know, delivery is reminiscent of Hall of Famer Dan Aykroyd. I think uh, it's, it's fair to say that uh, Carvey will soon be in the Hall with Dan Aykroyd. But of course, that's up to you. You'll have to vote when the time comes, when the, when the season is wrapping up. We'll do some roundtables and then it'll be voting time again. But I'm getting way ahead of myself because we have a whole season of wonderful guests and wonderful nominees to discuss. 14 more, including next week, we've got a heck of an episode with Buck Henry being the nominee in the host category. Buck Henry, very, very ubiquitous with the show in the 70s. Could have been on the show in the 80s if it had worked out. Is he a Hall of Famer? Ah, by By my metric, it is. We'll have to wait and see, though. That's what I've got for you this week. Thanks for coming out. Make sure to tell all your friends. We're here, and uh, this is season three. So there's that. Now, if you would do me a favor on your way out as you're walking down the hall past the Weekend Update exhibit, turn out the lights because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed.
1: Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug DeNant saying, this is Doug DeNant saying, see you next week.
2: podcasts and such.